Our gospel reading for this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consultation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what it was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul too also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived, her, uh, lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of Moses, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. I bring grace, peace, mercy to you from God, our Father, Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, First, um, let me say Merry Christmas. Uh, I know that um, culture has done away with Christmas. That's in the rear view mirror, but here in the church, it's still Christmas. And um, if you're like me, it's okay that you still have your Christmas decorations up. These past few weeks, I got to witness a few couples having that debate. When were they going to take them down? Some were adamant before the new year, um, but I overheard my parents talking about it, and my father said, just leave them up till next year. We'll be ready. So, Merry Christmas to you all, Um, and Happy New Year. It's a new year, first Sunday and a brand new year. And um, believe me, there's all sorts of temptations to do that resolution, new year, new me type sermon, but I promise you, I won't do that. Uh, But it is a new year, (laughs) and that's important for us. Uh, I'm not one for resolutions, um, but I think 
generally speaking, it's a time where we are all sort of thinking about bigger things in our lives. Um, where are we headed? Where's this ship headed right now? What iceberg are we going to hit next in this upcoming year? Um, we're thinking about these things. We're looking at our lives. We're wondering uh, what this year is going to have for us. Families maybe planning vacations to states that will let them. And um, it's that time of the year to think big and to think where is our life headed? Um, when I was a kid, um, when I thought of that question, where is my life headed, um, I had one clear answer for me, and that was my older brother. <laughs> um, see, everything that my older brother Michael did, um, by the way, it's his birthday today, um, everything that my brother Michael did um, inspired me to do that also. Um, be like Mike was a very real thing for me in the 90s, and it wasn't about Michael Jordan. It was about my brother. <laughs> it, when he started playing soccer, I wanted to play soccer. When he started playing basketball, I wanted to play basketball. Uh, when he would talk about occupations and careers, like one time he wanted to be a lawyer, so that time I wanted to be a lawyer. Neither of us ended up doing that, um, but you get the picture. We were five years apart. I'm the younger, so it's sort of that perfect age where I always knew that I could never beat him up very much, so I had to get along with him. My brother was very much kind of the model and the image of what I kind of wanted my life to be. Um, even we went to the same high school, and, and each and every time when a teacher would confuse us, um, confuse me for him, I know that's something that rubs younger siblings the wrong way, but for me, I always marked that I was proud. I was proud. It was like, if, if they see Mike and me, then I am doing something right. Um, more close to the truth is that we both have red hair and our last names are Neaton. So that's probably why. But still, I, that was the sort of picture of my life was everything was oriented and directed um, towards becoming like my brother, being like Mike. He was the image, the big thing in my life that I wanted to become. And just recently, um, as I've kind of gone through some books that uh, I was supposed to, or I did read in seminary, um, but not so much, kind of brushed by, uh, just recently I kind of picked up one of those books because Pastor Garrett and I have talked a little bit about it. Uh, this book, You Are What You Love, by this theologian named James Smith. And see, in that book, he, he talks all about worship. And he talks about how worship is a reflection of our loves and our desires, the things that we crave for most in our lives. Um, those things, the things that we love, the things that we desire, the things that we crave deep down to become and be and, and look like, those are the things we truly and actually worship. And so, uh, for me, when I was reading that, it came across very clear to me that in my younger years, I worshipped my brother. I worshipped him. He was the image that my life was heading toward. And today, um, today in our scripture passage, I think what we see are two worshippers. 
Four, you know, Mary and Joseph, of course, but two worshipers, Simeon and Anna. Their whole life, um, the way that the Gospel of Luke depicts them, their whole life is being summed up in this one moment. It, it is as if everything that they have done beforehand was leading up to this very moment. They had just lived through this season of Advent, if you will, the season of waiting and waiting and waiting, waiting to become or be a part of this thing that they were most looking forward to, the thing that they most desired and craved and loved. And what was it? It was pretty simple. They were waiting for God to do what He always does, to do what He had always promised He would do. Looking backwards into the Old Testament, uh, there was this promise that Simeon and Anna knew that from the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, and through Abraham, through David, through every single one of those books and stories in our Old Testaments, there is this promise that echoes louder and louder. And it's the promise that one will rise up, one will come through, the nation of Israel, and not just redeem and bless the nation of Israel, but through him will bless the whole world. This is what Simeon and Anna's whole life as Luke depicts it for us, was directed and oriented toward. They weren't worshiping themselves. They weren't worshiping their family. They weren't worshiping false idols or images uh, that, that would fail them and that they would never become. They were worshiping the one who promised and who fulfills his promises truly. Their whole life was oriented and directed toward this promise. Their whole life was a life of worship in Yahweh, in God, and in Christ. And what's most ironic to me and sort of what stood out the most to me reading and hearing this Christmas story again uh, for the, I don't know, umpteenth time because I've heard it so many times in the church, uh, Simeon and Anna, um, was its location, which is to me this real big sticking point, and I think a big glaring piece for us to really see when we hear this story, is where all of this occurs. So first of all, in the very beginning, what occurs? Mary and Joseph are doing a very ordinary and customary thing for their time. Uh, a devout, pious Jew, 40 days after the birth of their child, Mary, the mother, would have to go through a purification rite, and the firstborn son would be presented to the Lord. And so what they're doing is exactly what their religion, exactly what is customary, exactly what is ordinary in this time and this place. And where they would go and do that is the temple in Jerusalem. And the temple is then where all of this unfolds. And, and that's a big point, the temple, because it's not just another church building. It's not how we think of our buildings. They're nice, they're great, they're houses of worship. The temple was the center of everything for a devout pious Jew during this time. It was the center of economic life. You know, think about Jesus flipping over the money changers' uh, tables. It was the center of their social life, and most glaringly and probably obvious, it was the center of their religious life. It was the center of their worship. 
It's where the prayers would be prayed. It would be where their sacrifices were made. And each year, uh, the high priest would make that atoning, covering sacrifice for the nation of Israel. The temple was not just the center of those things. It was the center of the world for someone like Mary and Joseph and Simeon and Anna. It was the building and the functionaries of what occurred there and the God who dwelt there. And what's amazing is how a baby changes everything. See, right there in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, we see that Christ changes the way in which we orient and direct our lives, that we no longer as people of the promise, are directed or oriented toward a building and the functions that occur there, but we are directed and oriented toward a body, the baby that Simeon holds and sings a song over. This signifies to us that the, the way to God is no longer through the temple, but is through the person of Jesus, the one who came in the manger. That we can come to know Him and know Him truly and fully simply by knowing His Son. The Gospel of Matthew depicts this as well, but at the end of Jesus' life, when Jesus is on, his cross and, on the cross and He says His final words, and Matthew accounts how the temple curtain was torn in two, representing no separation between God and between man. And here, as Simeon picks up and lifts up the baby Jesus and sings this song of redemption, of saving, of promise fulfilled, we see and are told the same thing. In Jesus, there is no separation between God and between man. And what's interesting enough, too, and, and, and if you've heard this passage, you've you definitely heard this song if you've um, participated in a full liturgy, if you will, right? Because in growing up, um, my church would do a full liturgy, and um, after each and every um, celebration of communion, uh, we would sing. We'd sing the song of Simeon, the Nunc Dimittis. And for me, I always thought that was a little weird, because um, it's a, I knew where it came from because I went to like a Christian school and so we ta- were taught the Bible the whole time. So even as a little kid, I'm like, I know Anna and Simeon. Isn't that song about a dying guy? <laughs> because, right, he's going to die. Let, my ser- let your servant uh, depart in peace. Um, until it finally hit me uh, as I was reading a, a church father's commentary where he simply pointed out that the same body that Simeon holds in Luke chapter 2 and rejoices over is the same exact body and blood that we hold and taste and touch and feel when we participate in the Holy Eucharist and come to the Lord's table every single time. So, what's your resolution? (laughs) Don't have one. Because I think we all really just have one resolution, one big thing. Uh, This year, uh, in 2021, no matter what comes, no matter what iceberg uh, we find ourselves hitting and on course to run into, orient and direct, set your compass true north to the body and person of Jesus, the one who came 
to us, to not just uh, 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 come to us for, for vanity's sake, but so that we could know him and know God fully and truly. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, I pray that um, this Christmas season be within us, not just in the season itself, but that your incarnation and what you showing up in the manger, showing up in the flesh, um, that that be with us through this whole year. That we are reminded daily in your word that your promises are fulfilled, that you are a good God and you are working in and through all of the things that are happening uh, to us and around us. Lord, I pray that you be with your church, that you inspire us to be the light and darkness, to preach your gospel, to preach your grace, and to preach your peace. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.